You're listening to The Poncho Section, conversations about all things media and Mel Brooks. It's a podcast. And here's your hosts, Michael Canfer and Ethan Feldstein. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Poncho Section. This is a very special episode. Today, we interview Kavita Shah. Kavita is a mercenary, formerly with the British Special Forces and MI6. She was a longtime foil for, of Dominic Toretto up until 2017 when she helped save Dominic's son. She now partners with Luke Hobbs, a DSS agent assigned by the CIA to team up and battle a cybernetically enhanced terrorist threatening the world with a deadly virus. Wait... Ah, oh, nope, no, this is this is Hobbs and Shaw, part of the Fast and Furious franchise. Crap. <laughs> I had so many questions about The Rock. Uh, luckily, I often take way too many notes, so I do actually have the correct bio here. Kavita Shaw is a vocalist and composer who defies genre, blending traditional jazz with elements of Brazilian, West African, and Indian music. Kavita was named Downbeat's Best Graduate Jazz Vocalist in 2012, won the ASCAP Herb Albert's Young Jazz Composer Award in 2013, and in 2017, her work, Folk Songs for the Nabarea, was said by NPR's Nate Chinin to be one of the top 10 jazz performances of the year. In 2018, she released Interplay, a basin voice duo album, and is currently working on an album titled Cape Verde Blues. We are beyond excited to talk about this amazing music. Kavita, welcome to the Poncha section. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. I'm embarrassed about all those, these questions that, about the rock that we won't be able to get to. I, <laughs> well, I really like I mean, that. I didn't know where you're going with that. I was trying to figure it I out. I do think I have a lot in common with a spy. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I speak many languages. Oh, okay. Um, okay. A lot of my work is, you know, it's not just my work, but my life. It's kind of being able to go in and out. So mm. being able to access and be a part of all kinds of societies, all kinds of people. That's part of the work as an artist because you never know who's in your audience. Um, and you might play for all kinds of audiences and all kinds of people. And it's true of my work um, doing ethnomusicology research because I might be in villages or in places that are very different from my circumstances at home. And then I might be in a position to share some of that work or that music um, with audiences very different from the communities I'm working with. So um, there is this this kind of um, code switching that happens, mm. being able to speak different languages, not just actual languages, but being able to relate to different people. And I think that's um, that is kind of my strength as sure. a as a person, as an artist. Yeah, definitely. Plus, you have a license to kill, which is just uh, that only oh, yeah. helps. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that was that was the accurate bio then, the first one. Yes, yeah, absolutely. That was the real bio. The, the second one's fake. <laughs> Perfect. So we talked about it a little bit before uh, this recording, but how has the, the whole quarantine affected your life as a performer, as a composer, as a songwriter? Um, you know, I think 
I don't really know yet. Mm. Um, the, the first part of it, um, we've all kind of thought, okay, well, when is this going to be over? Or, okay, it's just a few months, and then I'll kind of go back to my former life. And um, now there's a sense that that's going to really change what the landscape was of being an artist, being a performer, um, in terms of how much it might go online. Also, we don't know how um, the economy will Im impact mm -hmm. any venues, performing arts institutions. Um, so I think there's just so much unknown that I don't know how it will ultimately affect my life. I yeah. can say my day-to-day -day activities are pretty much uh, the same in terms of my own work, in terms of what I want to practice or, um, you know, projects that I've already been working on um, that I, I'm trying to finish or trying to, you know, move forward. Um, but uh, I don't have any sense of when I'm going to do a concert yeah. in public again. Um, and, um, you know, I'm starting now to think about um, setting up my studio better and being able to record from home more and looking into maybe doing some live stream concerts. Um, but as a model, I don't think that's really sustainable too. Right. Um, first, you know, I think as artists, we should get paid for our work. Um, so there's something that's un uncertain. Of course, we all miss music and I miss playing and singing for people and there's a desire to share. But um, what what becomes sharing and, and, and connecting and then what becomes giving away your work. Um, right. That's something that I think as a, as a community, we, we, we haven't figured out yet. Um, and then, um, yeah, just not knowing what the field will look like and what the scope of things will look like. And I don't think there's ultimately any replacement for live music. You know, I'm sure everyone in the world is turning to music in some way or another um, through this period as a, um, a solace and um, including including me, you know, um, listening yeah. to albums I haven't listened to in a long time or discovering new things. And I don't think there's ever any replacement for having that experience of live music in a room with people and sharing that together. Someone said something interesting to me and I, I think it's really true. I think the role of the artist in the local community is gonna become more important. So maybe we can't tour internationally. Yes, we yeah. can try to connect to a global audience on, um, on online, but I'm more interested in, um, can I put a concert together for my neighbors, maybe outdoors mm. or something? I, I start to think about this very local connection. Uh, who lives right next door to me? Wow, we never had this conversation before. We never spoke to each other. Um, and if you think about the role of artists or musicians um, in, in a lot of traditional music, it kind of has this role where you are part of the society. You know, you are serving a need. You are um, integrated into life. It's not this thing that's like separate where you're an audience and you know you clap and you go on a stage and you have this separation between the artist and the public. And it's just, you kind of go really back to the basics of like, 
you know, shit, what would the world be like if I can't sing or I can't share this with another human? All of a sudden, I'm sure you guys have gone through this, um, you know, just having a conversation with someone or a stranger. Yeah. It's, it's so valuable. And so something interesting, I think, about going back to that very primary connection. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's funny what you're saying about, you know, getting to know people around you or, or meeting new people, meeting neighbors. And yeah, that's like, that's really nice because I had met someone who lived in my apartment building who I, who I probably would have never spoken to before, before this had happened. You know, it's just like everyone's kind of craving, craving that, you know, craving some kind of connection. But yet, but then at the same time, there's also people are, are afraid to get too close to anybody right now. So sure. there is sort of this, there's both those things, but, um, but to performing, I think, and I know Mike and I, we've talked about this, that we we're, we're just craving to go out and see live performances again mm-hmm. of, of any sort, really. Um, just to be there for what you're saying, that connection, because whereas like, you know, Zoom, this kind of thing is great in, in the meantime. It's a good way. It's great that we have this and it's great that it's a tool that can be used in a time like this, but it's not the solution mm-hmm. long term. Like we have to go back because people need that. It's, it's so important. You know, it's such an important part mm-hmm. of life, really. Definitely. I'm I'm absolutely jonesing for some some live music, going going to yeah. a venue just I don't, just standing there. I'll I'll stand a two hour show just to just to be out and seeing some music. It's funny because people have talked about um, like or like you can remember like being at a I can remember being at a show and like you know towards the end you know you're getting kind of tired you know tired from standing or whatever so you're re- like you can't wait to go home. And then now it's like, no, no, <laughs> we want to, we'll stand all day if we have to. Like, Absolutely. We just miss that so much. Seriously. Yeah. So it's when you were talking about that, it makes me think of, I don't know, um, especially with the nice weather, being outside on a warm day and hearing street music, hearing a street mm. musician, um, yeah. hearing something in the air and maybe just gravitating towards it for a few minutes, that very simple thing. Um, yeah, that feels, uh, yeah, you feel nostalgic thinking about that. Definitely. It's definitely yeah. missing right now. Well, we have, we have a friend who, um, who's been on the podcast before Eric, who used to have this every summer, he would have a, um, oh, yeah. a concert in like his parents' backyard. Um, and it was, uh, he lives in, um, actually, I think it's pretty close in Fishkill, New York. Um, oh, yeah. that's kind of, I, maybe sort of close i don't know um it's kind of between us between okay um but it was really nice and they'd had like a big yard and like all like the neighbors and like friends would come over and bring food and you'd have and there was like a rotation like his his father's a music teacher right I'm right yeah about that. yeah he's, he's his dad's yeah. a music teacher they have a bunch of music yeah. friends i would bring my bass yeah uh, you got, friends yeah, of ours exactly. would bring our guitar and we just make it a thing it's there's it's so, sort of what you were saying, it becomes like a communal thing. Maybe not necessarily a, as close to um, the way like traditional kind of uh, music or the way the traditional like artists f- filled a role, but it was it definitely had that like community c- coming community together feel, though, kind of you know, thing that's definitely missing right now. It's that's Human. missing, and that yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. 
I think I think even as performers, though, we it's it's rare to create that kind of atmosphere. Mm. Like, how do you create intimacy? Depends on the venue. It depends sure. on the place. Oh, yeah. um, but um, there's nothing as intimate as you know playing in your living room or playing um, kind of just directly making music. Sure. You know, like no no microphones, no um, no filter, no separation. Um, and it's also scary to do that because it's uh, it's kind of in your face. You mm -hmm. you yeah. can't really go on. It's real. It's really human. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So like maybe kind of connecting to this and on a, a happier note than uh, than what's going on in the world right now. Why? What got you into music? Like, why did you w want to become a musician? Um. I always say I, 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 I kind of just feel like it was, it was chosen for me, not by my family, definitely not by my family, <laughs> but, um, you know, I just, I think it was just in me from, from the time I was a baby, I was just singing basically, you know, yeah. out of the womb and then, um, um, always gravitating towards it. And of course I did many musical activities. I played classical piano. I sang in a professional children's choir, but, um, I would just always kind of gravitate towards being on stage, performing, singing, um, making music, playing piano, learning new music, being curious. Um, and um, so I think that seed was there from very early and that passion was there. And of course I developed the skills over time. Um, but, um, you know, I didn't study music for my undergrad. I went to Harvard and I was kind of on a different path. And um, at that point, music just would kept, keep calling me no matter what I did or no matter work, what I worked in. It was like, oh, maybe I should just uh, go to this jam session at night. I was working um, in um, one of my first jobs out of college was um, at Human Rights Watch. You see, I, I am an international spy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> And, uh, you know, I was thinking about working in nonprofit or doing human rights law and, and, uh, but I would, I had this job and it was in DC and then, you know, in the evenings I would go to the jam session <laughs> at a, a really cool club that closed down called HR 57. Um, and, you know, it was like every waking moment outside of, uh, work would be about music and jazz and getting my lead sheets together and mm. learning new songs and going around this. So it just kind of kept calling me. And um, I think, you know, I also realized um, it was a way to be able to communicate to others. Um, it was a way in which I could share things um, and express many things like, um, in college, I had lived in uh, Brazil hmm. and I did um, research there on um, Afro-Brazilian music. And it was really amazing because this group that I worked with, they did a lot of um, educational work and musical work and cultural work and kind of to see how all of these things intersected in one place and how um, music can re really be a vehicle for, um, ideas for um, community, um, 
for spreading culture and solidifying those things. It, it made me see how it's not just about um, an artistic pursuit, which is really important to me, of course, but um, it really can be kind of a, a place where many of my interests in politics, in um, different cultures and languages and in, um, you know, humanity can, can intersect. So it's kind of feeling it as a, as a larger calling, not just about um, performing or recording or being really good at my instrument, but um, a larger calling of um, being able to connect to people sure. through this vehicle. And that happened, you said, while you were in Brazil. So were you there on yeah. like a study abroad type of? Yeah, thing? I was. Um, I was. That's it was. Um, it was a program. You know, a lot of study abroad programs. You go and study at a university. So my whole yeah. plan was to. My whole plan originally was to do one semester in Rio, studying at the university, and one semester in Cuba. At the time, um, President Bush was in office. The the mm -hmm. second. And, um, and so all travel plans to Cuba, like at that point, students could still go to Cuba, but mm. that was next. And yeah. then um, in Brazil, I couldn't attend that university program because I had a job. I was editing a travel guide and my job went until September and the semester started in August. And so I had the, the only program that was like, you know, starting in August was this program in the Northeast of Brazil, which was such a blessing because, um, you know, you can go to Rio anytime, but the Northeast of Brazil is sort of where the, a lot of the, it's considered kind of the cultural capital of Brazil. Yeah. And um, I did this program, it was called Culture Development and Social Justice. And mm. we spent a lot of time working with communities um, like, going into the interior of the state and meeting landless workers, um, doing a agrarian reform movement and squatting on the land and like learning about their struggles. And then in Salvador, we'd meet with um, Afro-Brazilian leaders um, and uh, just, and like indigenous groups, everything, it was really amazing. It was kind of like, not just eye-opening, but really being there in the heart and the center um, of, uh, of like this really amazing place. And the amazing thing also in Salvador, um, especially, um, but I think in Brazil in general is music is so ubiquitous, it's just mm -hmm. everywhere. So sure. um, that, that story about hearing a street musician in New York or something, yeah. I mean, in Brazil, you can't walk one block without hearing someone either singing or blasting music from their house or um, especially in the months leading up to carnival, they have all this free public events hmm. or hmm. musical groups practicing. So there's just music everywhere. So it felt like a place where it, it was, it was a big part of me, but maybe not, um, maybe something I wasn't, I wasn't fully kind of, I hadn't fully grown into that aspect of my identity and it really drew it out of me. It was like, sure. you can't hide this inside. It's just out there. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, Brazil is a very special place in my heart. You know, I've worked, I keep working with Brazilian music and, um, and um, yeah, it was a kind of special place to discover myself as a musician.
Yeah, definitely. Well, kind That's of awesome. kind of playing off what you said, it seems, or at least my idea of of getting to experience cultures, the two best things that I could think of as to to do that is music and food. Like those are the the universal things that I feel bring people together. You bring people together with food, have a great party. There's always going to be music. Music is uh, a language of itself that is universal and can break through bar- any any barriers. So I think yeah, it makes sense that you're able to get so much out of out of that experience. Yeah, it's funny when you said that. I was thinking about, oh, but learning languages is also a good way in. But I realized even for me, um, really learning a language, it's not just about the language itself, but it becomes attached to those things. So, you know, um, I can't remember a language I've learned where music hasn't been a really big part of understanding the language or really learning it or being motivated or learning a phrase um, because I liked a song. And, um, and yeah, I think um, it is absolutely universal. Definitely. And so one thing that I found super interesting about your music, where you're able to blend all these different genres, all that together as someone who, when talking about language, I can barely even speak English. Um, <laughs> I found listening to your music where there there's some parts in English, there's some parts in another language, and then there's a lot that are uh, non-lexical singing, sure. so not non improvisational. Yeah, and no words. I found that since I wasn't necessarily always able to understand the lyrics, um, it it transformed the the vocal performance it, it ended mm. up making the the vocals even more of like another instrument um it allowed me to kind of view the vocal performance as a, a a different way a new expression of sound the focus was i guess less on the meaning of what's being said and rather like the timbre the rhythm the melody the intensity mm. of the vocals mm. and I'm curious if, have you experienced that through your exploration of music um and what have you found by adding these uh, multiple elements together that you've been able to elevate your music? Well, thank you. I think that's a that's a big compliment, and and um, it's nice to hear that experience that you had. Um, because I think another part of my practice that's really important, or the way I think of myself as a singer, um, it's um, you know I am a jazz musician. I have studied jazz and improvisation is really important to me um and it's there is this kind of traditional role of the singer um whether in the village or in entertainment um that is kind of the front person Hmm. um and you know in jazz and in improvisation a lot of the time it's about having a conversation and um, and really creating something together, um, and something I've, I've resisted or, or, or am moving away from is that traditional model of just the singer being out front supported by the band. Um, it's really interesting to me, you know, I, I, because, you know, a lot of the time I would, I would take a solo, you know, and it's the Mm -hmm. same for maybe a saxophone player or any frontline player. And then you, you stop 
And then, uh, but especially as a singer, you stop because they comp, uh, the band usually is comping for you a certain way. And then they go crazy. (laughs) And I'm like, they're having all this fun. And I'm just standing here waiting to sing, you know, the head out again or waiting for my turn. And especially if it's my band and my music, that's not my vision of of how music is. And of course, I want everyone to to shine and have their their moments. It's not just about me, but it's um, it's what are the different places I can play as Mm. a as an instrument. So yes, lyrics are really important. There is an importance of telling a story, delivering a story. And part of that is kind of being in front or in the foreground because you need that story to come across. But then um, when someone else is soloing or when there's an instrumental section, what can I do with my voice? How can I explore my technique to be an instrument and to be a part of that as well? And maybe sometimes even how can I support the other instruments? Um, So not just be kind of equal to them, but really be in a background playing a supportive role. And to me as a musician, that's an interesting place to be in to think about as a singer. Um, and, um, And as an improviser, because I'm often not using lyrics there. So I think it's interesting what you hit on because it, um, it really gets to this part of my practice of the way I see myself as a singer, which is not purely uh, an entertainer. Mm-hmm. Although, of course, that's a part of it, or or there is an element of that. But really, um, an artist thinking, what role can I play, and how can I move in between different roles, um, and then language or or sonic texture or words or no words. They they're just they become kind of tools in that toolbox. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's like, I think a lot of people are melody people and that's probably myself included where if you hear a good melody, you're it's like um, immediately it's gripping. So I think, I don't know. That's for me. I don't know what most people, I don't know what other people do, but um, that is definitely something that I gravitate towards before the lyrics usually mm-hmm. to be honest like that's it's like the melody first and then then maybe I'll dig deeper into something and you know and start to listen to like you know what they're saying but I think if it if it kind of like a melody can evoke some sort of feeling I don't know if you feel this way but like that's that's almost as important or if not just as important for someone yeah I mean everybody has their own experience um mm-hmm. I know um my husband doesn't listen to any lyrics at all and doesn't know what any <laughs> lyrics are. And, and he's also a jazz musician and he doesn't, I mean, it's really pretty amazing. And yeah. uh, for me, my sensorial experience of music is so, of course I listen to instrumental music as well, but um, there's so much driven by lyrics. There's a lot mm-hmm. even for me driven in improvisation that come from, even if I'm not using lyrics, but it comes from, the meaning of what the lyrics are in terms of shaping sure. that song or that story. Um, right. And um, yeah, like I'm the kind of person I hear, I hear the lyrics once and that sticks with me, you know? Oh, wow. So um, it's kind of the opposite experience, but I think everyone yeah. has their own experience. And I'm sure many yeah. people like you're saying um, might gravitate to one thing. 
Actually, I think what I gravitate to is rhythm mostly. Hmm. Um, And I think you'll hear that in in all of my music, like no matter Hmm. what the genre is or how, if it's uh, Cape Verdean music or jazz or Brazilian or, um, or original music, there's a lot of kind of rhythm going on. I think that's, I, um, do you guys do that, that, um, 10 album challenge that's been going around on social media where you pick 10 albums that have influenced you. I don't know. A lot of musicians have been doing it and you post one album a day. Yeah. Those things have gone around for for a while. Yeah. They have been going around for a while. Yeah. Anyway, I just, when I, you know, made my list and of course it's impossible to pick just 10, but um, Mm. I realized the thing they all have in common is rhythm really. Mm. Oh, that's that's Very a good experiment music. to see. Yeah, to see like it's what, interesting yeah. to like yeah take to like zoom out and say because it's all totally different stuff. But then right. zooming out and saying, oh, there's something here that's like that's really me, you know? That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. there was. Uh, so this actually plays really well. I wanted to talk about uh, your 2014 album Visions. Um, and I think my favorite song would be, and please correct me because I'm probably going to s- pronounce this wrong. Oju Oba Oba with very uh, good Oba. Okay, with uh, oh, okay, nice with uh, Lionel Luke Luke Luke. What I was drawn to that was I think two things. One, rhythmically, I thought it was really fun, uh, very lively a lot of like i i was definitely drawn to that and then the, the video is so pretty yeah thank I you the and then the yeah. combination of your the two voices i thought mm. was really great i loved the harmonies that was going on but you have like mm. that low deep voice uh, and then yours which is like mm. up higher oh my god like that i was immediately drawn to that song oh thank you so much definitely that's yeah, definitely no. been the the hit <laughs> yeah that and then of course when like, I don't know why I didn't put two and two together when I first looked at the name of the album, but then I started, I played Visions and I'm like... Of the Stevie Wonder track. And I was like, what? Wait, wait, wait a minute. Wait, hold on. This is Stevie Wonder. <laughs> and I was like, I loved it. I was like, such a great way... It's totally rearranged, yeah. Yeah, a total yeah. genre uh, blending, bending version of it. And then yeah. you, you gave Joni Mitchell a run for her money. That was, that was incredible. And then um, I was paper planes, paper planes with the guitar that was going on in paper planes. I was just sitting there like, I don't know. That's um, that's Mikhail Valeanu. He's an amazing, uh, amazing guitar player. It was, oh man, that album was so much fun to listen to. Oh, thank you so much. Definitely. And then I guess playing off of that with, with having played with all these musicians on on your albums, people like uh, Lionel, Steve Wilson, again, please correct me if I pronounce these names wrong, uh, <laughs> Francois Motin? Motin. Motin? Yeah. Sure. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Marshall Solal and Sheila yes. Jordan. Yes. Um, I, I can't even imagine what uh, kind of like, learning experience that must have been um oh absolutely yeah um and it's a learning experience anytime you get together with any musician um Mm -hmm. but of course working with veterans like 
you know, Sheila and Marcial. Sheila is 91, Marcial is 92, I believe. <laughs> um, it's, uh, who, you know, both of them have kind of lived the history of jazz sure. and played with everybody and were just such a fabric of that. I feel very, um, very fortunate to have that connection. You know, growing up in New York, um, my first entry points into the jazz world um, were going to these clubs in Harlem that, you know, don't exist anymore. The Lennox Lounge, mm. St. Nick's Pub. Um, Minton's has been re redone, um, but the old Minton's. Um, and um, there were really scenes, you know, and, and kind of relics of another time. And um, I think it's actually really similar to, to studying other kinds of music or traditional music. It's having that direct connection with people mm. and the fabric of the history of that music that, you know, my children's generation or the, the next generation um, will not have just because a lot of those people are gone. Unfortunately, COVID took several several yeah. more of our jazz legends. Um, so, um, and I think it happened, you know, when you skip that generational gap, like when it's people kind of right above you, um, there might be some competitiveness or mm. um, it might be hard to kind of get that kind of um, access to knowledge, information and, and mentorship. But when you meet um, when you meet those people that are kind of have done it all and seen it all, they are the most humble, um, unfazed by anything. And um, you know, it's it's because for me, I remember Marcel Solal. So he wrote the music to um, Jean Luc Godard's film um, *Breathless*, <laughs> classic, and um, and. I, I remember I went to his house last summer, I was in Paris and um, he just invited us over for dinner. And, but the whole time I was like, so what was it like to work with Godard? And I was just bombarding him with questions. And he was like, oh, Kavita's driving me crazy with these questions. <laughs> but it's so interesting because for them it's their life, you know? Yeah. And for you, yeah. um, it's history. So it's, um, there's something special, I think, to just observe little things, not just um, how great musicians they are, um, but also what kind of people they are, how mm. they live their life, um, what lessons they've learned. Um, and, um, you know, you mentioned also, um, of course, Lionel, Francois, Steve, um, many other people I've worked with are just such masters of their craft and their instrument. and um, obviously they're much younger and, um, and closer in age. And th there's something, um, uh, there's something really special to just find kind of kindred spirits, um, of all, all ages, all backgrounds, um, and people that of course have so much experience, um, that, uh, yeah, it kind of, there's a lot that you learn just by osmosis. It's not about um, talking about, hey, let's work on this scale or yeah. how do you do this particular thing? But it might be just spending a day with someone um, or 
you know, listening to something and how they play or playing. Actually, Sheila is a good example of that. Um, you asked me a while ago how I became a musician, um, you know, when I was working at Human Rights Watch and deciding what to do and how to kind of make my way in music. I swear to God, I bumped into Sheila on the subway. <laughs> so it was like that story in Brazil where, you know, I was supposed to go one place and then life took me another place. And it, it, I had been looking for her actually, like I wanted to take a lesson with her mm. and I really loved her, her way of um, music, her, she has also like quite an instrumentalist approach and um, she has a really special sound. And so I had kind of my ears out for her, like, oh, I heard she teaches and where can I find her? But it's just this crazy thing. I was not looking for it. And, you know, the subway opened and she was sitting right in front of me. Yeah. Um, wow. And um, <laughs> so, you know, she's someone I've known. I've known her for 10 years now. And um, when we actually got into the studio together, even though I know her and I've been to her house many times and, you know, we've shared meal, like I, like we know each other intimately. It's a really different experience to step into the studio with, especially someone, um, someone as, you know, as uh, special artistically as Sheila. Sure. Um, but I realized I learned so much recording with her that day. Um, and we probably spent, I don't know, two, three hours recording. It wasn't a lot of time, um, but just, and, and we didn't even see each other. I'm just hearing her on the booth. She's mm. in another booth next to me. Um, there's something that happens just by that presence, just by playing together um, that, um, you know, is a lesson kind of in and of itself, so. Definitely. I mean, I've, I've definitely heard, um, I don't know, I don't know if you could say, call it more contemporary music, but like the stories of, um, Freddie Mercury and David Bowie when they mm -hmm. were in the studio together uh, recording uh, Under Pressure where they kind of just, just being together kind of pushed the other person mm -hmm. to, to, to maybe try a little more, to do, do something a little harder. Um, yes. So I can imagine being with a quote-unquote legend could I, I also be scary but rub off on, on you in yeah. uh, a but motivating actually way. That reminds me of being with Marcial because we did this recording um, with Francois Moutin on the bass. It's part of the duo album with Francois called mm -hmm. Interplay. And we were in the same room with Marcial and we did one of his compositions, no rehearsal. And, you know, um, it's a really hard composition and then it's free improvisation. Mm. And I did it in the room live with him, meaning I knew I couldn't edit my vocals after because there would be, you know, no, um, no isolation. Mm -hmm. So um, it kind of both that experience and being with Sheila, it kind of, it is intimidating, but it's also, um, well, Sheila was another bad because with Sheila, it's like, I'm not going to, it, it's the same instrument. So there is a kind of pressure of, yeah oh, I need to do something a certain way or I need, but it was kind of like, okay, there's no way I can be Sheila Jordan. Like I'm not, I don't have her life story. I don't have her life experience. I don't have her musical trajectory. So all I can do in this moment is be myself. Mm -hmm. Like the way for me to quote unquote match her, um, you know, 
is to be the most myself I can be in this moment. Sure. I am. And, and it was the same with Marcial. It was like, this is really tough circumstance or it's, 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 it's scary. So all you can do is just kind of rise to the moment. All you can do is, is sort of just do it and trust it. Yeah. You know, for, for interplay was the fact that most of the songs were, was just you, your voice and a bass. Did, did that have like a vulnerable, wow, I can't speak today, vulnerable kind of like feeling oh, yeah. where you couldn't, you can't, totally. you can't hide behind the drums or yeah. the guitar or anything like that. It was just you and the bass. Totally. And it's something I learned to kind of embrace through doing the project mm-hmm. with Francois. You know, we worked on it for a long time, but um, with each performance, it kind of, um, it's like being more comfortable just being the two of us in front of an audience. There was a lot of times in the, especially in the early days where I felt, I don't really know what we're doing. Mm. Or sometimes I don't know where I am in the song. Um, A lot more, I mean, of course that happens every now and then in my band, but it's pretty, you know, it's it's like not an often occurrence. And um, just then kind of turning to embracing that embracing I have no idea what's going to happen tonight (laughs) I have no idea where we're going to go or now of course we have structures but the fun part of getting on stage is like where is it going to (laughs) go um it's a little dangerous (laughs) you know but when you lean into that feeling it's really exciting too it's like very liberating Mm. because you have to you really going, it's, it's really related to everything we've spoken about. It's like really being in the moment. Um, you can't be projecting an idea of a song or trying to recreate a solo from another night. You're like really in that moment, um, creating something new each time. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it is very vulner, vulnerable. Um, and, um, but there's there's a lot of strength and vulnerability, I think, in showing an audience like who you who you are or how you really feel. If you're nervous or if you're sad or upset or whatever it is, I think that's what people connect to mm. in music. It's not just like a perfect voice or um, a perfect sound. It's I think we think about all the music that we love. It's like that the kind of crack in the voice and the the thing that's yeah. a little off and you know yeah, there's a lot of like intricacies that that go into it that uh that yeah that we pick up on maybe consciously or or uh, unconsciously but yeah that's really interesting for the song bliss i absolutely love that one um oh, the the rhythm of it and uh, maybe i'm Maybe my I just I haven't played music in forever, and that's I'm compl- Francois' song actually. Oh, okay. Music also, yeah. It's the there's that part where it has like that six eight feel, and I'm just like totally, totally digging it. It's kind of I guess it's sort of like a hook, for lack of a better term. Uh, I believe you start out with it, you bring it back. Yep, yep, exactly. Okay. Um, and I'm curious with with that song, but I guess with all the songs, um, your vocal arrangements, uh, do you find them to be 
more of a stream of consciousness or are they something you yeah totally like we you know compared to visions and and most of the work that i do with you know my band um it we didn't write one thing down on paper wow for the duo everything was developed organically in sessions so i think that line that you like um it i just sang it spontaneously in a session and then you know it grew from there so we we made the arrangements in a very collaborative mm. way in an organic way just over time like working things out and then working them out on stage you know that's great yeah yeah it's uh, it's interesting being able to do i'm i'm assuming you have to be able to not assuming i know for being a a much worse performer um <laughs> what do you play Michael? i play the electric bass but i haven't played in a while and oh. i'm trying to learn the uh, acoustic guitar right now but um it's a good time yeah definitely what, what else is there to do but you definitely <laughs> have to be able to like have chemistry and rely on on yes. the, the musicians in your band and be able to work and play off of each other uh yeah absolutely and and you know you develop the trust mm. um over time um but it's also about trusting yourself Oh, sure. That's something I, I learned a lot working with Francois because um, he's very virtuosic and he'll like, he'll just go. He's like a machine, you know, there's, it's almost like if I weren't there, he would play, he, he would still just go forever. And often also I get tired, you know, when we're rehearsing and he can just like keep going. He's like an energizer bunny. Um and he plays very, I mean, he plays crazy on the, you know, he plays super fast mm-hmm. and, um, and very dexterous and he has his own technique and everything. So the point being that part of it is trusting him and, um, and being, having that trust where you can feel free to create together and share ideas. But part of it is also like really trusting myself. So, okay, he's here, he's doing his thing. And, um, you know, I'm not going to doubt myself too. Like I have to also kind of be in that energy of I'm putting forward um, what I'm hearing. Hmm. And um, that's a big part of improvisation too. It's like trusting yourself and your own instincts. Um, Because if you're questioning yourself all the time, it's really hard to to be in that flow and to kind of access like the next idea and the next idea. Um, but when you trust yourself, um, it, it can go a lot smoother. And then maybe he throws an idea out and I react to it and, and it, it, it runs more smoothly, I guess. Yeah, definitely. I'm curious, what, do you have like a specific songwriting style? Do you, no is it kind of just let's see what happens we'll go in do what do whatever see what comes to you i mean my style is a deadline style (laughs) (laughs) whenever there's a deadline it gets done (laughs) i feel that with everything like anytime you have a deadline like it just you at least like towards the end you just kick yourself in the gear like all right i gotta do this and then like that's where like the best the best stuff happens i feel like yeah that's song um uh, utopian vision mm. on um on interplay um 
I had the first half of the lyrics and I think the second half came like an hour before we were going to record. <laughs> it was oh like, <laughs> I need to finish this right now. I booked a studio next to the recording studio. I went and I was like, I'm just, I just have to freaking finish this. And, um, uh, little green that arrangement i think i wrote it in five five minutes it was like this oh crazy God. thing where it came to me but it's because i had to do a concert or i had to deliver it to someone to do a concert the next day um this is my teacher at manhattan school of music um peter eldridge and we were doing a duo concert and he, he did duos with all the singers and i i had to deliver it so it was like, okay, is this idea good? Okay, this works. Okay, let's keep going. Okay, good. There's the arrangement. And then after, I was like, hey, this is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, there's other things that like I'll labor on and that sit around for years. Mm -hmm. And um, I've been trying to work on this. You know, like a lot of artists talk about the subconscious and how. Um, all kinds of artists, writers, painters, how, um, I was just reading Philip Glass's biography hmm. and he talks about how he doesn't even remember writing a lot of his music because it kind of quote unquote came to him. Right. Um, and you're just, you're writing it down. Like you're, there's something that happens in some sort of higher plane and you're, it's transmitted to you. And, um, and I think, uh, you know, I, I think it's something that like we all like to be better at, but just realizing that you don't have to do anything. You don't have to like force something into creation. Um, you have to rather allow things to flow mm -hmm. and to like arrive to you. So simple things. There's a, actually a song of Steve Wilson's. He doesn't know this. Maybe, maybe he'll find out from the podcast, but, um, uh there's a song of his that he gave me a few years ago to write lyrics to and I'd started it and I I basically pretty much wrote a set of lyrics that came very very naturally but there was this sort of question mark I didn't quite know what the song was about and now um you know something happened in my life and some experience I had now all of a sudden I understand what those lyrics were about mm. And it's funny because it didn't even happen to me at that time. Like it, it's like, it's like a, it was part of my consciousness, but without even knowing it. And now I feel, okay, now I can finish this because I know what it's about or I know what it means to me. Sure. And so um, I think it's something we all struggle with, like how to, you know, we want to, I'm impatient. So it's like, sometimes you want to get things done or you're like, Oh, I have to write new music for an album or I have to get this. I have to, I have to just do this. I should be writing music every day. I should be like a painter and I should be, you know, and that doesn't mean you don't have bouts of effort and like, um, you know, hard work and, and maybe part of it is having the inspiration and then part of it is, chipping away at it and figuring it out. And that's like grueling and not so fun, but just trying to allow that inspiration to like come in more. Um, right. It's what I'm trying yeah. to get to. Yeah, no, I understand. It's, uh, yeah, it's tough. It's, it's like, a, I feel like it's like sort of a balance 
you have to kind of let yourself relax a little bit and just kind of because yeah it's easy to get it's easy to get frustrated um i mean it's why like you know writers and musicians get like writer's block and -hmm. it's because like you're just constantly like why isn't anything coming to me like what you know what's you start kind of you start freaking out a little bit and then it's not until like you kind of can sit back and kind of you know take things in a little bit and then you start and then maybe something will something will happen but then then like the other side of it too is I guess you can't just like wait around and just expect things to pop (laughs) pop in your head all the time right yeah it's tough but um but it's but the the way you summed it up though you have like a very good understanding of it so that's that's really nice I have a good understanding. I'd like to practice it for a few more <laughs> years to feel yeah, more all, confident about well, it's, it. It's it's yeah, it's, it's constant practice, right? So <laughs> Definitely. I get it. It's kind of uh, playing off of what you said before, sort of being in the moment, I guess you would say, or embracing the moment. Because kind of, mm-hmm. yeah, basically what you're saying, not forcing something, but not, but being open to accepting an idea that comes up. It is funny to me how most of the things that are really important to me, people, musicians, moments in my life are not planned or not, Mm. you know, premeditated. They just sort of happen. I didn't plan for it. Um, And it's the same thing. It's embracing. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I'm not maybe that maybe I didn't have that song finished because I needed to finish it now. It's filling a, a need for me right now that I need, you know? So um, just being open to there being kind of like other things at work besides just our brains. I feel you. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, a, that's a good way to look at it. <laughs> so you're currently working, trying to finish up Cape Verde, Verde Blues. Cape Verdean Blues. Verdean? Oh. Yes. Okay. Cape Verdean blues. Cape Verde is the country, but so it's Cape Verdean blues. Gotcha. Okay. And that's actually, um, it's a song by Horace Silver, who's a jazz pianist, mm. but his family was originally from Cape Verde. Okay. So, and yeah. from what information you gave me, it's a Portuguese speaking archipelago in West Africa. Mm-hmm. So what, had, what can you tell us, I guess, about this project, the musicians you're working with? what made you pick this place like (laughs) it's really funny because it's it's if you when i'm when i'm there Mm -hmm. and go on google maps it's literally in the middle of the atlantic ocean like it's (laughs) in the middle of south america north america europe and africa you know um and there's nothing around but water (laughs) wow and um so it is quite remote, but it goes back to Brazil, actually. Um, when I started learning Portuguese and then when I lived in Brazil, um, I found the music of this uh, very famous Cape Verdean singer named Cesaria Evora. And she was like a world music superstar. She's really big and uh, not so much in the US, but um, Europe, Japan. I mean, she's hailed like, like a pop star, mm. you know? Um, like very, very, very big um, 
arenas and um she came to sing in Brazil while I was living there. So I got to see her live and she had a way about her that was so natural and nonchalant. Like she was called the barefoot diva because she would sing barefoot and she had a little uh, glass of whiskey on the stage. Very nice. And there was nothing about her singing that was, um, you know, she was like a hefty woman. She was, um, she was not pandering to anybody. She was not even smiling. I mean, it was not music for entertainment. She was just singing her story. Mm. And she was just so herself, like so radically herself. And there was a power to that simplicity. And you could see it just in the way her musicians looked at her. You could see how much um, strength and um, and like, she's like almost regal. Um, and so that had a really strong impression on me. And I of course loved her music and, and that's the connection I had to Cape Verde. That's how I knew, you know, what Cape Verde was, but then it became this thing of, oh, let's go to Cape Verde one day. It became this sort of mystical place because it's not something, um, it's not a place that's kind of like common Mm -hmm. in the average American imagination. And so, um, so it became this kind of like hard to get to place. Um, I think I think emotionally also like let's go find this paradise. And um, and my husband and I did a trip in in Africa in 2016. We traveled um, from West Africa to East Africa for three months and. Um, we, you know, we were like, okay, we have to go to Cape Verde. This is kind of the main stop. And we had a one-way ticket there. Um, we thought we would stay for about three weeks, but very quickly we're like, let's, we're going to extend it. And um, it was again, another place of like mystical encounters um, where um, even though I knew a lot about her music and I knew her, I didn't know research at all into Cape Verde. I had my husband had booked the hotel. I had no idea where we were staying. I had no idea which island we were going to. Like, I didn't really know anything at all. And um, I got food poisoning. We flew from Ghana to Senegal and Senegal to um, Cape Verde. And, and actually there's three, it was three flights, Senegal to Praia, which is the main port in Cape Verde and then Praia to Mindelo. And, um, so I was just in a daze and I took a nap and then I woke up and we walked to quote unquote town. And it's just like this gorgeous port, you know, with sailboats and like sparkling blue water and these colonial houses painted all different colors and cobblestone streets and, you know, um, everyone's really nice and it's not very crowded. It's quite clean. And it was just sort of like, where did I come to? Yeah. This is amazing, you That's know? And, um, and I, I, I don't know, I was on Facebook or I was, I, some, I, get an, I get quite in phases where I go off social media. So I was getting annoyed by something and I was like, why am I on, why am I on social media when I'm in this amazing place? So I 
literally turned off my phone, not just, you know, turn it off for a day or put it on an airplane. I turned it off and I did not turn it on for a week. Wow. And I walked out and my husband really wanted to buy a guitar. He knew that, um, you know, they make guitars there. And um, this is a long-winded story. No, keep uh, going. <laughs> but um, so we go to this music shop in the center of town where they sell CDs. And um, Cape Verde has like just an amazing, it's like Brazil. I mean, they have amazing artists, amazing music and a uh, really vibrant musical culture too. So, um, you know, when I say there's like a store with CDs, it's because there's so much music coming from there. And I said, you know, we're looking to buy a guitar. Where can we get a guitar? And he said, oh, you should go to this guy, Aniceto. I said, okay, great. How do I get there? Um, just take the bus and go behind the cemetery. And that's where Aniceto lives. I'm like, okay. So we <laughs> cross the street and okay, I see buses coming. And so um, like, how am I gonna figure out which bus to take? Or maybe she told me the number of the bus, but surely the bus came and there's a list of stops at the front of the bus or a list of, you know, and it said, it said cemeterio, it said cemetery. I was like, okay, I guess we'll go here. And, you know, then surely the bus stops behind the cemetery. And I said, you know, to the bus driver, how do I get to this person's house? Do you know him? And, you know, he asked someone who asked someone else. And finally we get to this guy Anisato's atelier. And um, he's a very famous luthier. He does, you know, a lot of the musician's instruments. And he was really nice. And uh, we looked at some instruments. And I bought a cavaquinho, which they have in Brazil too. It's, it's like a, a small guitar. Mm. It's, it's like a little larger than a ukulele, very high pitched. Oh. Um, steel strings uh, so um or metal strings so it's it's like a high-pitched uh rhythmic sound and um i said okay like i want to learn this instrument while i'm here who can i learn from he said oh well you know we have like the master of the cavaquinho here i was like okay great <laughs> so he gives me this guy's contact his name is bao hufino mm. almeida his name is bao and um, it turns out that Bao was Cesaria's musical director. Wow. So, <laughs> and, you know, maybe I wouldn't have had access to him otherwise, but because he knew Aniceto and Aniceto recommended me, he was like, okay, come over sometime. But even arranging that date, it was very, um, speaking of being in the moment, that's a place where you have to be in the moment. People yeah. do not plan anything. <laughs> but at the same time, everybody's around all the time because it's such a it's a small island i think it's like twenty thousand people hmm. the island of Sao Vicente, twenty thousand or forty thousand i can't remember but um you know so it would be like okay great when can we do the lesson um call me tomorrow and you know we'll see it's kind of that that's the vibe oh, really? you know yeah, okay. <laughs> so it started like that and i met bao and um we started playing and uh, very quickly in the Kavakini lesson, I realized this guy's a master musician and I don't want to study the Kavakini with him. I want to, <laughs> I wanted to sing with this guy, you know, I yeah, want to just right. dive into music and learn um, from him. And um, so I would just go to his house and, you know, 
Sometimes we drink rogi. It's the local liquor um, made from anise and sometimes just listen to music and he'd tell me stories about working with Cesario or the history of uh, other, other great musicians in Cape Verde. And um, it kind of grew like that. And we became very good friends and we developed a repertoire. And then two years later, I went back. Um, this is 2018. I did a, a fellowship through the Jerome Foundation studying traditional music from Cape Verde. And um, so the first time was really exploratory, no agenda. The second time was more, a little more serious um, study, just doing a lot of interviews with musicians, meeting people, asking questions, just like you guys are doing. And um, speaking of things happening in the moment, there's one great pianist, Chico Seja, who's the pianist of Cesaria. And I was like, I really, really want to meet this guy. I haven't met this guy. And um, I couldn't find his number. So finally I found him on Facebook and I contacted him and I said, yeah, I'm leaving in a few days, but if you've time, it would be great to meet you. Um, and he just called me right away. And then he was like, <laughs> wow. where are you right now? I was like, oh, I'm having lunch at the Alliance Francaise, you know, the French uh, center. And uh, he was like, okay, I'll be there in five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> you know like like how quickly something can happen yeah. or not ha and and not yeah. happen too because there are other days yeah. when you're like uh waiting to rehearse or waiting for something to happen yeah. it doesn't happen and yeah. um bow and i did a few concerts together a few more concerts and now we had developed a repertoire and and uh i thought okay maybe we should just record something little like like a memento of my trip and kind of record, doing some field recordings. This is what I studied and what I learned. And we went to a studio and uh, yeah, within a few days we had 10 tracks. Oh my God. Like, okay, maybe this is an album. Wow. <laughs> so we met a few months later in Lisbon and uh, because that studio in Cape Verde only had one um, recording booth. Mm. So he did scratch guitars on a Godin, on an you know electric guitar in the in the main room, and I was in the vocal booth. Um, so we were he was going to have to do all his guitars anyway. So um, we met in Lisbon. He did his guitars. We met a great percussionist living in Lisbon, who's from Cape Verde. His name is Miroca Paris, and uh, he's just been on tour with Madonna for the last year. Um, <laughs> Wow. who Madonna also has been living in Lisbon and fell in love with Cape Verdean music. Oh. Uh, and oh, so it's another that. kind of interesting parallel story. So, so yeah, cool connection. Yeah. 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 Um, so we recorded in Lisbon and then Miroka came and then Miroka was in New York on tour with Madonna and I've been editing the album and kind of finishing it in New York. Mm -hmm. And because he was living in New York rehearsing with, um, with her, um, her new project, and uh, we we had him come into the studio and do some more work. So it's kind of been nice to travel back with me to New York, and um, yeah. it's an album of, of traditional Cape Verdean music. Um, there's songs called Mornas, which are like ballads, nostalgic, lamentful. Um, there's faster pace called Coladera. Uh, more danceable and then um, and then we did uh, we did an indie a traditional Indian song my mom used to sing to me as a kid with a rhythm from Cape Verde okay and oh, cool. um, so it's like it's a lot of 
yeah, it's really, it's really cool because um, I, I can't wait to, to share it. It's cool talking about it because it's the first time I talk about it, you know, awesome. outside of um, home. Yeah. And um, you can tell I'm probably, probably that I'm pretty passionate about it. And I can't wait for people to hear it. Absolutely. That's, yeah, that's, that's really exciting. Yeah. Um, I just love the picture you painted of Cape Verde. It's just now like I, I want to go. It sounds beautiful. <laughs> but uh, no, what a story though. That's incredible. Truly. It's, um, it is a really, it is a really special place. And um, I think something cool musically has been like being able to learn the tradition and try to understand what's important about it, but then yeah. being able to bring artistically a lot of things we talked about, um, improvisation or um, how do you take a very, it's not a strict tradition, but, a, but, a, but um, a clear tradition and then and a clear tradition in terms of what the role of the singer is or what the role of the guitarist is, and then kind of try to push that a little bit. Um, I improvised in, in many places and I don't think that is something that like a, a normal singer would do um, in that kind of music. Um, or like you said, doing some vocal arrangements or doing some kind of creative, creating, creating atmospheres with the voice that it's not just about singing the lyrics. So continuing to explore that creativity, but within a, within a genre. That's wild. Yeah. Do you have a an idea of when when people could start hearing some of these songs? When is it going to be a release date? Yeah, it's the, it's the kind of the big uh, question with with COVID. Um, I'm working on it. Um, so, you know, do I wait until until uh, the pandemic is over and I know I can tour with it again, or I can, you know, I can go back there. I really want people there to hear it. That's really important to me. Um, or do I release it because, you know, it's new music and I want people to hear it and people are home. And um, so I still have to finish it. So <laughs> yeah. I'll see you in a few so months. I think the earliest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of impatience. <laughs> so I think um, the earliest would be like maybe fall 2020 or spring 2021. Very cool. But um, it's nice talking to you guys about it because I'm realizing how excited I am <laughs> yeah. and how much I want to, I want to, I want to share it. So. Absolutely. Yeah. That's great. It's, it's, it's exciting. We're, we're definitely looking forward to it. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So where can people find you and yes. find out about your stuff and listen to you? Yeah. Um, so Kavita Shah on Spotify, Apple music. Um, my Instagram is at Kanta Kavita, C-A-N-T-A-K-A-V-I-T-A, which means sing Kavita in Spanish and Portuguese and I think probably Italian. Um, and, um, and I'm also on Facebook, so you can find me on all of those platforms um, and uh, would love to connect and can't wait to share new music with you soon. Amazing. Yeah. Right, and we awesome. we seriously can't thank you enough. This was yeah 
This is uh, this awesome. Was great. This was oh, great. thank and you guys so much. Definitely. Yeah. Anytime. And um, do we have anything for the end? Oh, um, or do we have anything to plug, or do we want to do that later? Well, we usually have some f uh, not after show uh, housekeeping. If you liked this episode of the Poncho Section, please consider leaving us a review on your podcast player. Follow us on the social medias, Facebooks, Twitters, Instagrams. Type the Poncho Section and look for Headley the Duck. Do you want to support the Poncho Section and show that support? Well, get yourself some Poncho Section merch. We got t-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, hoodies, phone cases, art prints, stickers, and mugs. Just go to theponchosection.com, scroll down to the bottom, and click Merch. And finally, if you want to be featured on an episode of The Poncho Section, send a voice memo to ponchosection at gmail.com, and we'll play it in an upcoming episode. Well, thank you guys very much. Thank this you. Fun. Absolutely. This was great. Yeah, thanks so much for doing this, and, um, you know, please be safe. And uh, Yeah, you too. Peace.